to the podcast for We Hope Glasgow. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this message from Sunday. May it be a blessing to you today. All right, church, good evening. We get the joy to talk tonight about the great unveiling of this, of this great truth that Jesus of Nazareth, although he was crucified, God raised him from the dead. So we get to talk about the great unveiling of this as people are discovering this as we look in John chapter 20. Last week, Crooksy was talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. And today, as we, as we go through chapter 20, we're looking at the great unfolding of, of the triumph of those who are discovering, although Jesus was crucified, although he was dead, like truly, truly dead, killed by professional executors who testified and all the witnesses and placed in the tomb for three days, that, that God really did raise a dead Jesus, a fully dead Jesus, from the grave, defeating sin and death and offering uh, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, new beginnings for, for everyone. For anyone of any background, of any sexuality, of any color, of any nation who would believe in Jesus and give their lives to him, uh, commit their lives to following him, they would be forgiven, changed, and saved. Now, different, different gospel writers include different aspects and different pieces of this, this story here of, of the resurrection of Jesus. And we're looking at the gospel of John together specifically. And just a reminder that John's perspective in all this is, is unique amongst the, the Gospels. He, he's got a unique perspective because he, John, the writer, was there. He, he, he was there as, as, and he's writing uh, about his experience. Now, I'm not saying the other ones aren't reliable at all. No, they're all 100% reliable. But, but John's story, and as we read it, it's really his story of, of being a part of this great unfolding. And it's, and it's part of his perspective and his experience in seeing the revelation come to people that although Jesus was crucified and dead, God really did raise him from the dead. We get to experience it kind of through his eyes as he experienced it himself. Now, by the time John wrote the, the book of John, as he, by the time he wrote his gospel, several decades had gone by. They'd seen the gospel take, uh, go out uh, with, with authority, life-changing authority and resistance in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and, and to the ends of the earth. They'd seen it go out. And, and John had seen people from all over, um, all over responding to the gospel and, and hearing the story of Jesus being raised from the dead. And some of them entirely resistant to this and, and, and disbelieving. Because I don't know if you know this, but usually people who are dead, dead, don't all of a sudden come alive three days, days later when they're dead, when they're like dead, dead. They don't usually do that. And so it's a little bit uh, difficult for, for people to believe. And so John has experienced and heard different people as he's told them, no, Jesus was dead. He was, at, he was crucified and he was dead. And yet God raised him from the dead. He, he, he experienced some resistance to this idea and, and this, this teaching. And some of the objections that he had heard for the last many decades, uh, he's able to address even just telling his own story as a reliable witness. And some of the objections are all those witnesses, they weren't reliable. And John's like, I was there. Um, this idea of, well, maybe Jesus wasn't fully dead. No, no, he was. And, and John, John's addressing that. The idea of... 
of, um, okay, Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead, but maybe his body was stolen or they went to the wrong tomb or things like that. John had heard all these objections, the same kind of objections that people think of in our day, and I don't really blame them. It's really rare that somebody dies and that God raises them back from the dead. But that's, that's the thing with, with Jesus. That's, that's, the G, that's the Jesus story. And maybe for, for many of you, maybe some of you, maybe a few of you, you've, you've believed this all your life, that Jesus was dead and crucified, but God raised him from the dead, and you, you have, you, you're fully confident in that. Praise God. Not everybody in our city, not everybody in our church is as confident in that, and yet, and yet, John is writing this message so that we would believe, believe, even though we didn't see it with, with our own eyes. And I, and I want to remind you that this, the resurrection from Jesus, uh, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, is at the heart of the heart of the heart of the heart of the story of, of Jesus and the gospel. Everything hinges on this. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen, uh, verse fourteen. He says, "If Christ has not been raised." If he wasn't dead, dead, fully dead, and then raised from the dead, not just like kind of went into a coma, if he, if he wasn't dead and raised, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and so is your faith. Everything hinges on Jesus being dead, 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 and yet God raising from the dead. And so it's a resisted, it's a resisted message, and, and yet John's writing his story and his testimony, and he's addressing some of those challenges as we go through this chapter. So my plan is to ca- cover all of chapter 20. That was not my original plan, because I thought that was too much to cover. But, but it, we need to cover it all today. And there's a few pieces that we might skim, skim over a little bit, but I, my, I've decided to just re-hit them next week. So we're going to take the whole chapter at a glance and then, and then zoom in next week on, on some of the things that that we aren't going to cover as much. And the reason we're covered all is because all these stories that we're going to see, all these people discovering Jesus and, and, and believe, coming to believe in Jesus, they're all being written with the same heart to help us believe when we haven't seen this with our own eyes. And again, that's John's, John's world that he's spent most of his time ministering in, ministering to people who hadn't seen this with their own eyes, but, but writing about those who had. Is it foolish to believe what you haven't seen with your own eyes, especially if it seems very unlikely or impossible? Is that foolish, foolish to believe? I don't think it's foolish to believe what you haven't seen with your own eyes if the witnesses are reliable and all the evidence are pointing in that direction. And, and there's a lot of things that you believe that I believe that, that I haven't seen with my own eyes or, or, or investigated myself. For instance, I've been told that... that Ignoring, um, ignoring air resistance, heavy things and light things fall at the same velocity. And they, and they go, fall around 9.81 meters per second per second. Now I say around that because uh, I've also been told that at the equator, the, that velocity is a little bit different. That it's 9.79 at the equator, meters per second per second. And at the poles, it's 9.84 meters per second per second. But, but we just kind of 
are okay with this idea of 9.81, kind of averaging it out and, and saying that that's, that's the rate of velocity. Now, I've never tested this myself with scientific I- instruments to kind of determine this. I, don't, I, I have no doubt, though, that it's true just because I didn't investigate it myself. I don't, have, I don't think I'm foolish for believing what people are telling me, right? It's not, I'm not foolish for believing that. It seems, it seems about right. I mean, I'm just like, yeah, that looks about right. <laughs> no. Uh, but I, I believe it. DNA, I've never seen it. I mean, I, maybe I'm seeing it right now. I'm not seeing it. I'm not perceiving it. I've seen diagrams of it. It makes sense. I mean, it swirls around and it's diagram. Looks, looks about right to me. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think I'm foolish for believing people who, who, have, who have seen it and are, who are talking about it. Australia, never seen it. Never seen it. I don't think I'm foolish for believing in Australia. I mean, I see these people with funny accents. There could be a gigantic host, uh, hoax going on right now where it's like, oh, let's talk funny around Brian and convince him that there's this big thing, this big planet with these uh, platypo- uh, platypoda, I think is the plural of, of, of platypus, uh, running around and there's these jumping tooth, you know, kangaroo things. Oh, man, this will be so funny. And then, and then we'll freak him out. We'll talk about these gargantuan spiders and these super poisonous snakes. And, oh, man, we'll get him. This will be so great. Great. I don't think I'm foolish for believing because there's lots of witnesses to this happening. There's lots of evidence that this is taking that this this place exists. I was reading online that, of this guy writing about how he is confident that World War II never happened. None of it. Like, wow, that's that's incredible. Uh, uh, whatever happened, you know, the the nuking of Hiroshima didn't happen. The bombing of London didn't happen. And we're looking around. We're like, okay, I see. I hear the testimonies. We've heard the testimonies. Now, I didn't see it myself, but I've heard the testimonies, and, and I've, I've re- read the testimonies, and, and also the, we see the evidences. We see the evidences of it. And, and I, it's not foolish for us to have any doubts that it actually took place, that, that the war actually took place. In fact, you look at somebody who would make that kind of claim and be like, ah, oh, I don't think I'm foolish even though I didn't see this myself for believing the testimonies, because the, uh, the testimonies match the evidences. And the evidences are, are, are the impact has just continued to this, this time. It, the, 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 the reality of World War II, the impact that I see today makes sense that that actually did take place. So many of the things we believe, we, we just trust by those who have taught us about photosynthesis or what's taking place or what other planets are like. And, so, so much we just trust based on what people have said, and we kind of look, and it kind of makes sense as the, as the world that we, we see today. Who's the fool? Who's the fool? The one who only believes things that they see themselves, or who believes on the combination of witnesses, of those who had seen it, and evidences, and it just matches what, it, what we see in, in, our, in our world today. When it comes to Jesus and his resurrection, we are talking about one of the most certain events in the history of the world. With eyewitness records having been preserved through the ages and 2,000 years of impact and study going on. That the results of this moment being felt even 2,000 years later. Now, we're not going to cover all the reasons why we, we know it's true, but John does talk about several important ones as he goes through this because he's dealing with a lot of the same um, unbelief issues in, in his generation. Uh, some of these ones that we're, are going to help us believe, believe what we have not seen with our own eyes. That's, that's why John wrote this book. 
so that we would believe. In in fact, let me start with the last words of this chapter, the last three verses of this chapter, and then we'll go back from the beginning because this is where it's all pointing to. Verse 29, Jesus said in chapter 20 of the book of John, Jesus said, because you have seen me talking to these people who are there, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. He goes on to say, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. That's that's the aim of this chapter. So our, our belief will go up. Our certainty of the historicity of this event will go up. And so that even though we haven't seen Jesus like they did with our own eyes, like they did, we believe. And by believing, have life in his name. It's about well-placed certainty. This idea that here's the facts, here's the testimony. It'd be foolish not to believe, not to believe that this event happened. And, you know, these stories that we're going to look at, they're messy. They're definitely not polished. They're, they're unflattering to some of these witnesses. They kind of seem silly now, all these years later. But John's not trying to clean up the stories because he's trying to tell us the truth of what actually happened. He's not trying to change it just so it looks better. Okay, so we're we're looking at these events. We're going to go back to the beginning of the chapter. We've just seen Jesus crucified, dead, fully dead, uh, wrapped in in spices, 75 pounds uh, uh, worth of uh, weight of spices, wrapped up in a linen cloth, a face cloth, buried by Joseph of Arimathea and... Uh, Nicodemus, and they put him in a, in a grave. Uh, a day went by, a very sacred day. Nothing happened. And then on the third day, before the sun had risen, here's what we read. Chapter 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the, sun, uh, the, that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, who we now in our study know is John, John the author. She ran to Simon Peter and the author John, to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, this is the absolute worst thing to say because the critics are like, yeah, Jesus' body is stolen. That's what they're thinking. They're, they're thinking, no, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. They must have removed his body. Well, that's what they thought at the beginning too. That's what Mary thinks when, when she goes to the tomb that they've, that they've taken his body away. Why do they believe that? Well, that usually people just don't come back to life. So it makes sense. And it just really reinforces this idea that people had zero doubt that Jesus was actually dead, like fully dead. And so Mary, Mary, we're going to come back to her story more in a moment, but she is convinced Jesus was dead and that the body must have been stolen because he's not in the tomb. Uh, So the story begins here with, with an incorrect understanding of the facts with Mary. She, she, She sees he's not there, and so she has a, an incorrect understanding. 
Now, just a, a, a side comment. In, in our modern era, maybe some people have heard, and it was in John's day too, this idea of, well, maybe Mary went to the wrong tomb. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you're going to instantly probably realize that, that that's not wasn't the problem. I mean, the area that we're looking at is not that huge. And over the last 2,000 years, they would have figured it out, especially because all these people knew where it was. And, and Peter and John ran there without being escorted there. They, they all knew where the tomb was. And, and the government knew where the tomb was. Uh, if you've been there, you're just going to look. It's like, okay, it's not that big of an area. It's, it's, uh, that, it, it may have been an objection you've heard of, but it, it's, it's, a, it's, not, it's not possible. It's not even true. But anyways, continuing to read here, verse 3. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. So they'd heard what she said. They're heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he, John, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he didn't, did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter came also. He, Peter, entered the tomb and saw the linen... Oh, he, no. Uh, yeah, he entered the tomb, saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, which is John, who had reached the tomb first, then entered the tomb, saw, and believed. I'm going to hit that one more time. Entered the tomb saw and believed. For they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went home again. So Peter and John were running to the tomb because they were told the body was stolen. If you have in your mind, they're, they're skipping and leaping like unicorns in a field. They're, 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 they're probably rage running, like angry, running. Somebody has stolen Jesus. They, have, they don't yet understand from the Bible that Jesus is supposed to rise from the dead. They haven't picked this up yet. They, they've heard that his body is stolen. They're running to check this out. They're probably rage running, running here. So they ran there, and John and Peter, who apparently runs like a hipster, gets outrun. And, and then they arrive at the tomb, uh, assuming that Jesus' body has been stolen. But when John went in the tomb, I want you to hear this. He did not see Jesus and believe. He did not see an angel and believe. He saw the evidences and he believed. He didn't see Jesus. He didn't see angels. He saw the facts and believed. He believed before he saw Jesus was alive. He looked at the situation. He looked at the evidences. And he believed. He saw the linen cloths lying there. He saw that no way did somebody steal the Bible or steal the body, uh, the body of Jesus. Um, they, the, the, the pressure on, on, the, on Jesus, like um, he was this political 
nightmare for the leadership. They had, they'd done everything they could to protect this body with the Roman guard and the sealing the tomb. And the Pharisees were like, we want to make sure that nobody seals this body. And it's this big, big, big deal. The, the people who are coming along aren't going to unwrap his body and fold the face cloth and all this kind of stuff. They're just going to grab and go. There's no way. John knows this. He knows the, the political environment. He knows the deal with Jesus and, and just the intensity of everybody's feelings about Jesus, his followers and his haters. And, and he goes in. He doesn't see Jesus, but he believes by looking at the evidences, by looking at the facts. And we can do this ourselves with way more evidences than John had in that moment. We have 2,000 years of, of, of not finding a body by, a, by people, by a humanity who loved nothing more than to disprove the resurrection of Jesus, to disprove the message of Jesus' of salvation uh, by, by pulling out a body. They, they would love to do this. We have way more facts and evidences. But John didn't need all the facts but he looked at the, the facts, not understanding the Bible even, not understanding the Bible, not seeing Jesus. But he saw the facts and he believed. He saw the evidences and believed. We can do that in our generation. So that's John's story. But now we go back to Mary. And Mary, who still thinks Jesus' body has been stolen. And so they went home, but Mary stood outside facing the tomb, verse 11. Crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet where Jesus' body had been lying. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. She's seeing angels, and she still doesn't believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. She still thinks the body's been stolen. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, though she did not know it was Jesus. And we don't, we don't blame her. There's a few other stories about the guys on the road to uh, Emmaus and things like that, where Jesus seems to be able to kind of conceal his identity a little bit with that. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've removed him, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Okay, so she's seen angels and she still doesn't believe. She's seen the facts and evidences. She's looking at the tomb. She still doesn't believe. She's seen Jesus himself and she still doesn't believe. She's talked to Jesus face to face, and she still doesn't believe. This is not making her look all that good here in the story. But then, verse 16, Jesus said, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, Rabboni, which means teacher, it says here, which really means my rabbi. Don't cling to me. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but, to, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. 
Mary believed when hearing Jesus' voice, and really most specifically when he called her by name. He heard him, he heard him talk, but when he called her by name, Mary believed when hearing Jesus' voice. Again, Mary's testimony is, is unflattering, but that's what makes it so powerful. She's so convinced that, that she, she just doesn't think that Jesus is about to rise from the dead. She's not looking for that. She sees angels, and she's so distraught. She sees Jesus, and she's so distraught that she can't even, she doesn't even, she can't even perceive that Jesus is standing right in front of her in the flesh. She's, she's distraught. And he even speaks to her, and, and, and he doesn't, she doesn't realize it. I was talking to a good friend this week, a very good friend who's having a rough go. And they just feel like Jesus is nowhere. They are, I mean, they were just in tears and anguish and agony. Like, God is, he's not helping me. And, and, and what's the point? And I'm angry at God. And I, I just feel like Jesus is, he's not, he's not anywhere. He's, he's far away. I don't, I don't even know if he, he's around. And, and he's not saying anything to me. And just, just going on and on about how frustrated. They just can't seem to, to, to see Jesus or, or, or get through to Jesus or get help from Jesus or whatever. And, and I know what that feels like. I bet you do too. Sometimes, in our pain, we're hurting so badly that we also can't see that Jesus is right in front of our faces. It's very easy to do in times of pain to not be able to see where Jesus is. When you're talking about the people with the greatest faith, they're the ones that can see the unseen. Like Moses, who, who, persist, who persevered because he saw he, him who was invisible. Or like Elijah, who can see that they're, they're surrounded by angelic armies, but Gehazi the servant can't see that. It's those who can see what others can't see that find that encouragement. And, and here, with, with, in times of pain, we think that Jesus is nowhere. Mary thinks that Jesus is gone, but Jesus is right in front of, his, of her face. Right there talking to her, and she, doesn't, she can't perceive it. The truth is, in our pains and our disappointments, the testimony of the Bible is that God is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. So if you love Jesus and you're hurting and you're looking around and you just can't see him anywhere, Jesus is probably a lot closer than you think. He could be right in front of your face and, and, and you're not perceiving it like Mary here. The second thing that makes Mary's story rather powerful is just this uncontested claim throughout the Bible is that you have these apostles, especially as the time John's been writing, you have these apostles who have gone out and gone through all these nations and they've been, they've been, you know, dying for their faith and proclaiming and leading revivals. And you read all about this in the book of Acts. And the books of Acts is all the things that have taken place in the books of Acts have taken place before John writes this book. So all this stuff has happened. And, you know, um, Mary Magdalene here, her name does not appear out with the Gospels. She's never mentioned in the book of Acts. She's not mentioned in any of the letters. She's not mentioned in any of the rest of the story. She's just mentioned in the Gospels here. 
but she is the one accredited as being the first eyewitness of Jesus being raised from the dead. And, and that's extraordinary because, because in that day, the testimony of, of a woman was, wasn't respected. It, it didn't count in, in many environments. If you're trying to make up something believable, you're going to try and attribute the, the testimony of the resurrection to these mighty apostles who are doing all these miracles and changing the world. But instead, the first eyewitness is this woman, Mary Magdalene, who we don't hear of after this, who we don't hear of going through into the book of Acts. He's not trying to change the story to make it more believable. He's just letting us know the facts. Now, John might have been the first person to believe that Jesus was alive. But Mary is the first one to actually see him and to hear the voice of the living one, Jesus Christ. Now, there's some weird comments here that I don't have a lot of time to talk about. Um, they're, they're made a lot more clear in the more modern translations, but they've been pretty confusing. All this stuff about, like, don't cling to me, I've not ascended to the Father. And, and you know, based on different translations over the years, people have been, like, imagining this idea of Jesus saying, like, like don't touch me, woman, or, or something like that. Uh, that's not what's going on, to, gone, going on here. Or this idea that, well, then Jesus has to ascend to the Father before he can meet with the disciples um, later on that day. No, that's not what's going on here. I think what's going on is Jesus is, is saying, look, yes, I'm alive, but we're in a new era even still. And, and I'm, I'm not going to be, it's not going to be an era where I'm going to be here and where you hold on. It's actually now time to go and tell, to be sent. And I'm going to be ascending to, to the Father. I'm going to be doing that uh, shortly. Um, you, you can look at that a little bit more. We don't have time to go into that. But think of, think of him as saying, look, you can't keep holding on to me. Instead, now the job is to go and tell. Go and tell. And that's what she does. Okay, so that's John and Mary's testimony. But, the, but there's a little bit more here. And we see Jesus appearing to his disciples, or, or the vast majority of them majority of them in verse 19. <clears throat> in the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear. They were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, peace to you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now we're going to talk more about this uh, next week and, and look at this more frequently, but one of the great major evidences of the truth of the resurrection has to do with the transforming of the disciples from hiding and fearful to lifelong boldness. The disciples moving from, from fearful to, to boldness. Uh, these guys remained loyal to Jesus and this message that Jesus really is alive in the face of threat, in, the, in experiencing imprisonment, experiencing beatings and torture while facing their own ex executions. They are, none of them recant this idea of Jesus being uh, truly dead and God raised from the dead. They're so resolute on this all the days of their life. Simon Greenleaf writes about this. He is a Harvard uh, professor of law at Harvard University, world-renowned scholar on the rules of legal evidences. The rules of legal evidences. And he says, looking at this, that it's impossible 
that they could have persisted, the disciples could have persisted in affirming the truths they have narrated, the idea of Jesus being alive, having been dead and being alive, had not Jesus actually risen from the dead, and had they not known this fact as certainly as they knew any other fact. The testimony of the Bible is, these guys saw Jesus alive, and they went out under his command, sent out in all the world, to testify to it, and that's what they did. That's the testimony of the Bible, and that's the testimony of history, that these guys went out believing Jesus was alive and the whole world was impacted and it continues to be. So this is true of, of, all those, uh, of most of those disciples except for one. Uh, one. One living disciple isn't there. Judas is, is dead at this point. One of them, Thomas, wasn't yet there. You know, I think it's interesting. I mean, uh, on a side note, um, Jesus doesn't wait for them all to gather together. Some guy decided not to show up, and he missed out. Um, but anyway, so uh, Thomas wasn't there. And this is how Thomas comes to believe that Jesus is alive. But one of the 12, verse 24, Thomas, called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples kept telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. After eight days, his disciples were indoors again. Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And observe my hands. Reach out and put, your, put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. Okay, so this is Thomas's testimony, the testimony of a, of a guy who knew Jesus, who loved Jesus, was willing to go to uh, Jerusalem to die with Jesus, but zero interested in believing a lie. Zero interested in believing what was just impossible, that Jesus, who was definitely dead, had to come back to life. He's often called Doubting Thomas because he refuses to believe based on the testimony of what everybody else is telling him. All these people that he's known for several years, he's refusing to believe. He's saying, I will never believe. He's just in resolute disbelief. If I don't see the marks in his hands and the, the, the Touches, I will never believe. Thomas goes from skeptic in this story to lifelong believer. Diehard skeptic to lifelong believer. Jesus calls this skeptic out. He says, don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. Or stop doubting and believe. Thomas was in a, a very dangerous place, re resolute in not believing based on anyone's story or anyone says anything. Everybody's telling him the same thing. He's resolute in not believing. And so many people in our generation, so many people you know have that same resolve. I will not believe. It's a dangerous place to be. 
when you set yourself to be resolutely skeptical to that which, we, which you haven't seen yourself, where you, re, where you refuse to believe the witnesses, the, those who are testifying, where you refuse to, re, to see the evidences and to believe based on the evidences. Even though by this point, they've been certain, you know, they're trying to find Jesus' body, the, the authorities are, and trying to figure out, not be, refusing to believe, which brings us back to where we began. It's not foolish to believe based on the witnesses, based on the evidences, based on the facts. And there's a blessing over the life of every person who chooses to believe, even though they've not personally seen Jesus. You know what 1 Peter says? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Peter's writing to Christians who aren't in, weren't there in that moment, along with up to the north in, in modern-day Turkey. And he says to them, you love him, Jesus, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy for you receiving this. And he goes on to talk. These people in, in the book of John here, they saw Jesus. And most of us haven't seen Jesus in, in the same way. But there's joy and blessing for those who believe even though they've not seen it with their own eyes. Jesus is alive. God's raised him from the dead. We have written accounts, written witnesses. Or we've got these evidences, history transformed, changed people. Okay, I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I did not see the stone rolled away. I did not, I did not see angels. I didn't place my hand in Jesus' side. But this, I know it would be intellectually foolish of me to refuse to believe after looking at the historical facts and the, the accounts of the eyewitnesses that although Jesus was crucified, God really did raise him from the dead. The real question for me is, is not, did Jesus actually raise from the dead? The question is, what are we going to do about that, and how are we going to respond? We saw four different kinds of responses as we went through these, these stories today. We saw Thomas. We, we saw Thomas. And, and Thomas moved from doubting to belief. For some of you, your response to the idea of Jesus being raised from the dead, and talking about that today, is moving from resolute doubt to belief. To belief. To give your life to Jesus and be saved. For, for others of you, maybe more like the disciples. And it's time to make, for you to make a change in your life based on contemplating, again, Jesus being alive. Moving from fearful to tell people about Jesus or just fearful of people who don't believe to being bold uh, with all of your life, all the days of your life, testifying that Jesus was dead, but now he's alive and that changes everything and now believe in him and be, be forgiven and saved. Some of you are living in way too much fear about telling people that you are confident that Jesus is alive, raised from the dead. And your response would be moving from fear, as you think about the resurrection, to, to, to being bold about that. And some, some of you, uh, more like John. More like John. And it's time for you to, you have some doubts in your heart about this. And it's time for you to firm up by looking at the facts. 
John didn't need to see Jesus. He didn't need to see angels. He, he just needed to look at the facts and believe, the evidences and believe. Maybe some of you need to think, you're, you're, you've heard me talk about some of those, but maybe you need to explore that a little bit further. So you have, okay, I need to look at the facts and believe like John did. And then lastly, Mary. Some of you like Mary. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're overwhelmed by pain and disappointment and frustration. And you look at your life and you're so upset. And you can't see Jesus anywhere. You can't see Jesus. You, you're, you can't see that Jesus is right there with you in your pain. You, you, can't, you can't even hear. You're, maybe you're talking to him and you, you can't hear what he's saying even though he's talking to you. Or maybe he, and it's time for you to, to believe that Jesus is there and to hear him call your name and hear and believe and move into worship. So you have Thomas from doubt to faith, the disciples from fearful to bold, John looking at the evidence and, and believing, and Mary moving from pain to being able to see, okay, Jesus is with me in this moment, I believe. Three challenges today. Uh, besides applying those four, uh, challenge number one, I want you to do some online reading by Googling evidences of the resurrection. Evidences. Build your faith, your confidence to, to go up. We're, we're believing uh, on, uh, on facts. Uh, secondly, ask a friend. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Ask a friend who you, think, who you think isn't a believer what they believe about the claim that Jesus was killed and raised from the dead. Maybe they, they know the claim. Maybe they don't know the claim. Hey, this is the claim. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's unlikely. That's right, unless God's real. No, it's an interesting conversation. Uh, thirdly, I want to encourage you this week to worship in light of this. Uh, to listen to a favorite worship song that speaks about Jesus being alive. If you don't, if you don't have a, a favorite worship song about Jesus being alive, ask Luke. Luke will point you in the direction of your new favorite worship song about Jesus being alive. But, but spend time just worshiping Jesus for, for being alive. We're going to come back to this on Easter in, in about four weeks from now. 